You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Deborah. It's really special for me to be here. Of course, my sister, Fran, she's been my best friend forever. And also to be back with Deborah Layton, who I have known since before she was born, because we knew her parents when they were in seminary before they had Deborah and the others. And actually, her brother Alex is a great friend of my son John's, and they're both in ministry, so we have a lot of ties that go back for a very... They were in Mother's Day out together, too. We go back a long way, and just to be back with so many of you that I've met before, this is... It's so much like coming home when I come to Birmingham. We live in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, my husband's the rector of the Falls Church Anglican, and we've been there this summer 40 years. It's a long time. So we're about 15 minutes from the White House, so we're really metropolitan Washington. And we've been through... Our topic this morning is trusting God in life's transitions. So I thought I'd just give you a little bit background on us. We have five children... We had five kids in seven years. Numbers three and four were a set of twins, which were a surprise. And we moved when the twins were six weeks old from Northern Virginia to, uh, to Northern Virginia from the Pittsburgh area where we had been serving in a church there where we met Deborah's parents. And it was a crazy time in my life, those early years with all those toddlers and you know, sleep deprivation, and you feel like you're not accomplishing anything. One day, my husband came home, and I was just so excited. I was dripping with sweat, covered with grass, and he looked at me, and he said, Susan, why are you so excited? And I said, I'm so excited because I mowed the lawn. It's the only thing I've done in so long that lasts more than 24 hours. You know, it's that feeling that you're not accomplishing anything when you're a young mom at home with toddlers all day long. So that was our season of toddlerhood, and then we had the season of almost five teenagers at once, and our home would have been best described as exploding hormones in every direction. Then we moved into four different kids being in love, various stages of being in love at one time, and then marriages, and then we started with grandchildren, and we have 21 grandchildren. Uh, which I know is kind of crazy, but we do have a set of quads, and that sort of ran the numbers up with the grandchildren. And so as I've walked along these different seasons, I kept thinking and waiting for life to calm down. Living with the mentality that life will calm down. Well, ha, hey, sweetie. Um, Life will not calm down. In fact, it only gets more complicated, doesn't it? Uh, I kept waiting for stability and yet expecting stability to be the norm through all these different seasons. And what I discovered is that transition is the norm and stability is the rare exception. And once I began to make peace with the fact that transition is really the norm, it sort of gave me a sense of peace. Because changing your expectation from longing for stability, which you think is the norm, to receiving whatever transition you're in as the norm and being grateful for those small pockets of stability, it really lessens the pressure. And I imagine that today each of us longs for life to settle down. 
But the reality is most of life is lived in transition. So we have to change that expectation. And when you change that expectation, it's going to relieve some pressure. Now, what I found is that transition comes in lots of different packages. There's little ones, there's big ones, there's difficult ones, there's tragic ones, there's normal ones. Some transitions have to do with the specific biological season in our life. Uh, newlyweds. I have a friend who married a wonderful young man. She's been married a couple of years. And she said, Susan, I never realized how much I like to be by myself <laughs> until I got married. You know, and he's there all of the time. So there's adjustments in the transition of being newlywed. And then the adjustment when you throw in that first baby. And you sort of think you've carefully put your marriage together. And then you have that first child and it kind of throws all the pieces back up in the air again. And you have to re-figure out how you're going to relate. And then you have the teen years. And your question is, how much do I hold on and how much do I let go? And what are really the swing issues? And what are the crucial issues? And where do I focus? And then there's the empty nest. And some many of us are in the empty nest. And then you may have one where you thought you were in the empty nest and a child bounces back for a season. And that brings all kinds of challenges. Or perhaps you're single or you're single again. And one of your challenges is loneliness. It's easy to lose perspective and we wonder, am I overreacting? And one of the blessings of being single is that you can accomplish and you have the freedom to do so much more than someone who is married. So there are tremendous blessings in being single. So those would be kind of the normal biological transitions, but there's also other transitions. There's the new job. There is the new boss and an old job. We live in the D.C. area, and so we see a lot of new bosses in old jobs, and that makes for an awkward transition. A move, that's a big transition. Vacations, that's a transition. I remember the first time we went on vacation with our kids when they were little, toddlers, and I remember thinking, oh, vacation, I'm going to get some rest. <laughs> you know. And then I realized that vacation with toddlers is not rest. It's running a family camp. And if you want to have a vacation, you go away without your kids, right? So we're always having to change our expectations, even in the little transitions. But then there are difficult transitions. There's the illness, a grave illness, perhaps yours or someone you love. There's a crisis with a child, a prodigal child, a child who's in a medical crisis or a learning crisis. There's the death of someone you love. There's financial crises. There's the loss, just simply the transition of loss, which we all experience many times. The loss of a dream that didn't come to fruition. The loss of a friendship. The loss of a mate or that mate that never happened. The loss of a baby. Loss is a big transition as well. Transition is constant and transition by nature is awkward. I think that's the best way to describe transition. It's just awkward. So the question then becomes how do we handle life in transition which is generally the norm for us. We're fearful. Sometimes we're depressed. Sometimes we have a sense of adventure. But I think what God most wants us to have is simply a tender heart. A tender heart towards Him, whatever transition we're in. So what I wanted to share with you this morning is just very briefly six keys to a tender heart in transition. And the first one is simply, 
as much as you can, anticipate adjustments and plan ahead. Now, you can't always do this because sometimes transitions hit us out of the blue. But looking back to vacation, I used to wonder why when we'd go on vacation as a family or John and I would have an opportunity to, to escape and leave the kids for a few days, you'd all get along and it'd be great, and then you'd come home and I'd be depressed the first three days I was back. It's coming back from responsibility. The same thing is true if you're single, gal, and you're working and you're just maxed out and you get some time off and you go away with girlfriends. And then you come back and you're just kind of blue for the first three days. And I realize it's just the translation from freedom of responsibility back to all the stuff in your face. So I simply named it re-entry. It lasts three days and then it goes away. And just calling it, giving it a name, seemed to help make a difference in that transition from vacation to responsibility. Planning a wedding. That can be a big stress time. I, our twins got married within six weeks of each other the same summer. And yeah, that was crazy. And we have very large families, and so there were very large weddings. And my husband, being the rector of the church, you know, the, the list of who you needed to invite kept growing. So that was overwhelming, and I realized how stressed that I could easily become. And I was praying one day, and I felt the Lord just gave me this statement, which I wrote out and put on my refrigerator. And this is what it said. Susan, remember, you are not primarily planning an event. You are building a family. And relationships are more important than details. And I was really to need that phrase over and over again as you could get upset with details that weren't going quite right. So it's helpful when you can to anticipate adjustments that occur in a transition. But you can't always do that, can you? A second key to walking through a transition is simply to reserve judgment. Often in a transition, we're sort of in, put on a period of what I call wait, on hold. And particularly with a move or a new job or a new season in life, I've learned it's best not to make a judgment about how you feel about it for at least a year. You simply say when a friend asks, well, how do you like the new city? You've just moved to Birmingham. How is it? I actually said this to a friend yesterday who's just been here four months. And I said, when people ask you that, just say, I'm in a period of transition. Ask me next year. Because it's awkward. The first year is awkward. Reserve judgment. And one of the reasons this is important is that we need to realize that transition breeds our insecurity. And because we're not in control. And if we take that down to a deeper level, what we realize is, what I realize at least, is I really want to be God. I want to be in control. I want to think through all the contingencies and make everything right and fix everybody else and me. But we're not. Transitions help. Transition brings out our insecurity. And insecurity can breed a critical spirit. Insecurity sets us up for a critical spirit. Where we're critical of someone or some situation. So guard against the breeding ground of a critical spirit when you're in transition. It's so easy to blame our spouse, to blame our new employee, to blame colleagues or neighbors or a church that's let us down. Be sensitive and ask God to give you a spirit of affirmation and generosity rather than a critical spirit. 
A third key is to guard against the attacks of the enemy. We do have an enemy. He's called Satan. I mean, we're all familiar with this because we're walking through Lent. And it represents the 40 days in the wilderness where Luke says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days. So we are all going to be tempted. It's part of life. And the comfort comes by recognizing that Jesus has been tempted in every way that we will be, yet without sin. So we can take comfort in going to him in our temptations. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And we need to recognize this. But one of my favorite scriptures is from 1 John 4, 4, which says, Greater is he, meaning Jesus, who is in us than he who is in the world. We have a Savior who is greater than our enemy, and he is within us. I think it's important to recognize that one of the enemy's greatest tools is simply discouragement. Our enemy will do everything he can to discourage us. We get down on ourselves and we feel like we're a failure. And that is a great tool of the enemy. It's helpful to recognize the difference between conviction and condemnation. I have found in my life so often the Holy Spirit, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin in order that we would repent and ask for forgiveness. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to go to my husband or my kids or girlfriends and say, I shouldn't have said what I did and I need to ask you to forgive me. Will you forgive me? I can't remember a single time when I have felt like doing that. You know, and more often than not, I'd rather say, but if you had or but if you hadn't. (laughs) You know, I think I'm right. But we go to one another asking for forgiveness, not out of feeling, but out of conviction and out of obedience. Because God has called us to be forgiving. And don't expect your feelings to automatically change or your trust to automatically be rebuilt. Sometimes it takes a lot of time for feelings to be healed and for trust to be restored. That's not instantaneous. The asking for forgiveness and granting it needs to be immediate, and that's what opens the door to healing and trust. So it's really important in terms of recognizing conviction to listen to the Holy Spirit. And often I'll pray as David prayed, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart, and show me if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in thy way everlasting. And then I'm quiet for a few minutes, and I ask God just to search my heart and bring to mind things I need to confess. And I ask his forgiveness. That's conviction on the one hand. But there's another thing that we struggle with, and I think we women particularly struggle with this, and that is condemnation. And it might go like this. You're a lousy mom. You know, you're just a lousy daughter. You're a lousy wife. You're a lousy friend. You will never dot, dot, dot. That's condemnation and it's general. Whereas the Holy Spirit speaks specifically, the enemy speaks generally. And in Romans 8, 1, Paul says, There is therefore no condemnation 
in Christ Jesus. So learn to recognize the difference between the voice of conviction, which is loving from the Holy Spirit to lead us to forgiveness, and the general voice of condemnation from the enemy. And one of the ways it comes out for all of us who are moms is, you've ruined your child. <laughs> you know, you just have. What you've just done, you've ruined your child. Or for your, grand, or for your grandchildren, you've ruined your grandchildren. And what we have to remember is our ability to ruin our child is not nearly as great as God's power to redeem him or her. That has really helped me because over and over again we'll feel like we've ruined our kids. Your ability to ruin your child is not nearly as great as God's power to redeem him. And we are really thankful for that. Guard against the if-onlys, two little phrases to be aware of that I think the enemy can use to trip us up. And one is if only, and one is what if. If only I hadn't come from the family that I did. If only I had a better relationship with my in-laws. If only we had a bigger house. If only I had a better job. If only, if only, if only. When we sit in the if onlys, it leads us to regret and it leads us to bitterness. If we, on the flip side, sit in the what ifs, which is where I personally can really struggle because I have a vivid imagination. What if this child dies? What if my marriage falls apart? What if I don't get this promotion? What if we don't get this job? If you go down the trail of the what ifs, it leads to fear. And it leads to our forgetting that our Heavenly Father is in charge. He redeems the past. And he goes before us to prepare the future. So watch just the way that those two little phrases can trap. A fourth key is to ask God to give you a teachable spirit. I think so often when we're in transition, we're just waiting till we get out. We're waiting in our heads until we get to the next thing. And yet God has us. We are where we are with God's permission. He has us where we are with his permission. And he wants to speak to us right where we are. There's a passage that has been really precious to me in my life. It's from Jeremiah 33.3. And it says, Jeremiah is saying, Call of God, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. And so often I have found myself stuck on an issue. At this given moment, all of us have one or two top priorities on our heart. Top prayer requests that we're concerned about. And I remember not too long ago when I was on an airplane coming back from Africa and John, my husband, and I had been ministering over there for two weeks and our kids were either college or post-college, so we hadn't left little ones at home. But we were thoroughly depleted, emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, just exhausted in every way. And when I'm exhausted, I'm really vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And I remember sitting down, you know, in the middle row of that back economy section, you know, that you have on those international flights and just kind of melting. And as I melted, I began to think of one of my children. And I began to imagine an issue or a problem that I thought this child might have. And the more I sat there and thought about this child and this issue, the bigger the issue became in my head. And I remember thinking, okay... I'll just pray. And I began to pray. But the more I prayed, 
the bigger the issue became. I tried to read the scriptures and that didn't help either. And finally, I just kind of sighed and I just prayed that prayer that God always loves to hear. All I said was, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And two words came to my mind that were really to transform the trajectory of my spiritual walk. And I didn't hear them audibly, but they were unmistakably from God. And the two words were this, remember me. Remember me. And what I realized in that moment was that my issue, which at this particular moment was a child, had become bigger in my head than my God. And what I needed to focus on was how big God was. And that began a journey for me, which will continue until one day I get to heaven, of focusing on a character trait of God each day. One character trait. He's the God who lavishes us with his love. In Ephesians 1.8 it says he lavishes us. And we sort of tend to treat God like he's frugal with his love. I'll give you just enough, Terry, to get you through this immediate crisis. That's not our Heavenly Father. God lavishes us with his love. So to walk through one whole day just with that trait in my mind has made a big difference in my life. I, um, I talk about this a lot more. I have a book called Risky Faith. Uh, becoming brave enough to believe the God who's bigger than your world and a companion devotional that goes with that book that's 100 words, 100 verses, 100 for 100 days and a thought. They're available on the website. But the principle that I want you to catch here is that in this time of being focused on one issue, God had something other to teach me. Something coming from the side. And that's why I sort of named this Jeremiah 33.3 verse the principle of the other. So whenever you feel stuck about and you're in the midst of an issue, ask God to open you up to have peripheral spiritual vision so that you might hear what he would have to want to teach you coming in from the side. Because he has so much more to teach us. So four is a teachable spirit. Five is decide where you are going to run in a transition. I love the scripture of Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So let's just pause for a minute and I want to ask you this question. I want you to ask the Lord this question as we're just quiet for a couple of minutes. Where am I running? It's so easy to run to other places for comfort when we're stuck. Some may not be safe. A non-believing friend for advice, alcohol, a man who's not our husband, busyness, overcommitment to make us feel good about ourselves, the internet, shopping, food. So let's just be still for a moment and ask God to open us up to where we might be running at whatever transition we may be in right now. And I'd like to just encourage you to sort of walk through the rest of the day with this sense of God, show me where I'm running and shift my gallop to you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. 
Those who run to him are safe. If we run to him, we're going to experience the blessings of his faithfulness. Well, what does this look like? What does running to him look like? How does that work itself out in daily life? Well, I think it works itself out first and foremost to make time alone with him a priority each day. If this is not your habit, I would encourage you just to take the first 20 minutes of the day and spend time in his word and in prayer. I, for many years, have read a psalm every day. And so I go through my Bible and I have a little check by the psalm from the day before and the next time and next and then a little smiley face and then a little star so that I can remember where I am. And then I read a proverb. Proverbs are easier because you just match it to the date. But as I'm in the Psalms, I'll ask God to give me one word from this psalm that I need to hear from me today. And it's a precious time of sort of having a single date, a single encounter with Jesus. And I think one thing that's really helpful in today's world in particular is to leave your cell phone in the other room. Don't check your news feeds. Don't check your text messages. Don't check anything because it distracts us from our Heavenly Father who longs to have time with us. Use a paper Bible and mark it up. Our our scriptures on our cell phones are fine. They're great for standing in the carpool line or going to church. But you need a paper Bible that you can mark up. And one of my goals is to, I'm on my fourth Bible now that's already falling apart. And we have five kids. So I'm ready for a new one. I want to be able to leave when I die. I want to have five really marked up, messed up Bibles to give to each one of my five children. So I encourage you to be in the Word. That's something that's so important. You might be saying, yeah, but Susan, you know, what if I don't know God like you're talking about? Well, perhaps you grew up in a manner that I grew up in. You know, I was raised in the Episcopal Church. My parents were all on vestries. I can't remember a time in life when I wasn't in church. It was, it was not arguable. We were there. We went on Sundays. And I remember I'd get really bored. And I was so glad I was an Episcopalian because we would kneel. And during communion services, I would just simply fall asleep. But you know, the beauty of God's Word is it says God's Word doesn't return void. So even when we don't think we're taking it in, And this is to encourage you who have young children too. When they don't think they're taking it in, His Word is still soaking in. And at the proper time, it will bear fruit. So even though I wasn't aware that I was taking it in, I was taking it in. And yet, for me, I grew up thinking that being a Christian was a little more good than being bad. And if when I died, I'd just been a little more good than bad, I'd get to go to heaven. And it wasn't until I was in college that a friend challenged me and he said, Susan, are you a Christian? And I thought, what an odd question. But then as he chatted, I said, you know, well, I think I am. I hope I am. I've always believed. He said a very interesting thing to me. He said, Susan, God doesn't want you to think you are or hope you are. He wants you to know with absolute certainty. And one part of me thought, that's pompous and arrogant. How can I know with absolute certainty? But on the other hand, that's what the gospel is. It's certainty. And my friend shared with me, he said, Susan, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. But because of your own sin, you have chosen to go your own way. And fellowship with your Heavenly Father is broken. 
But Jesus died on the cross for your sins in order that you might have a relationship with the Father. Now this wasn't new to me given my upbringing and my culture. But what did strike me was what he said next. He shared with me the verse from Revelation 3.20 which is the last book of the Bible. And it's a picture of Jesus standing at the door meaning the door of our heart. And it says, Behold or look, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and fellowship with him or her. And my friend said, Susan, have you ever personally asked Jesus Christ to come into your life? And for me, I realized that I had not. I realized that I had been living on what I would call an inherited faith. And it was not yet a personal faith. And the reality is, God does not have any grandchildren. God only has children. And each of us and each of our children will have to come to the place where they personally ask Christ to come into their life. And my friend <coughs> said, Susan, would you like to do this? And I said, well, ye yes, I would. But this feels just a little awkward. You know, I'm not used to having conversations like this. And he said, well, how about I pray a prayer on your behalf and you can pray it silently and ask, using my words ask Jesus to come into your heart. And so that's what we did. And for me it wasn't an emotional experience. It is for many people. But the great thing about our Heavenly Father is that He knows how we're each made. And we're each made very uniquely and very differently. And God appeals to us in how He knows we will respond. For me, it was moving from an inherited faith to a personal faith and knowing for the first time in my life that I could have the assurance that one day I'd be in heaven with him, not because I was good, but because we, none of us could ever be good enough. There's only two ways to get to heaven. One is to live a perfectly sinless life and only God in Jesus, as Jesus who walked on earth ever did that, and the other is to accept his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. So my trying to be a little bit more good than bad wasn't going to get me anywhere. So God reaches to us in our uniqueness. For me it was a turning point, a huge turning point in my life. And I had so many questions. But I also had a hunger to know truth that I had never known before. So it was the beginning of a great journey our Father is the only one who forgives completely. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's the only one that understands our weaknesses. Every one of them. He gets us. And though He knows us so thoroughly and so completely, He loves us with a perfect love. We have nothing to hide from Him. And this is one of the reasons I also love the book of Psalms because David, who wrote many of them, was so blooming honest. You know, he would get really angry with God. And he did not live a great life. You know, he committed adultery, he committed murder, he did just about everything. And yet he was very intimate with the Heavenly Father. And I love that picture. God is not caught off guard by what happens in our lives, He's still in control. He knows everything about me, and yet he loves me unconditionally. I think it's helpful for us to ask ourselves, what transition am I facing today?
It may be tiny. It may be big. You may not even have realized that this transition is in your life. And also, secondly, where am I running? And where am I going to run in this transition? Are there true and lasting answers in the direction I have been running for my self-identity? And in light of this, where do I need to run? And how am I going to do it? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So six brief things. Anticipate and plan ahead is the first one. Reserve judgment is the second. Guard against attacks from the enemy is the third. Ask God to give you a teachable spirit. What might be the other thing that you are speaking into my life? That's fourth. Fifth is decide where you're going to run in a transition. And finally, six, focus on the blessings. Focus on the blessings. I think our natural tendency is going to be to serve ourselves, to satisfy ourselves, and to feel sorry for ourselves. And all of those tendencies just lead to the great pout. The great pout. <laughs> we, sure. We're going to feel sorry. Our natural tendencies are to feel sorry for ourselves, to serve ourselves, and to satisfy ourselves. And all of those dead in into the great pout. At least I found that to be true in my life. Perhaps you have too. Whereas God says, choose to look for the blessing. Because there are blessings in everything. And choose to thank Him. Let me just end with a story of, of how this hit me. Once when John and I were in Africa, we were staying out kind of really in the boonies. out, And we were in Kenya. And we were spending time with... Uh, a bishop and his wife and doing ministry out there and this is a very dangerous rural part of Kenya and one morning John got up to go out into the real boonies some had never seen a white person before so this was very rural and it's very dangerous because if you stop the car thieves would just come and take a tire off the car so it was a risky thing but he was going to travel out there I wasn't going on this particular outing with Bishop Julius and his wife Nellie and so they got in the car and we prayed over the car and we prayed over the day and they went out and they were safe and they came back having had a wonderful day of ministry and they pulled into the bishop's compound and as they pulled in my husband went to open the door to get out and Nellie just gently put her hand on his arm and she said, John, we prayed before we left. We must now thank him. And I just marveled, you know, I just marveled at how often we pray for things and then when they're done, we're on to the next thing, right? We need to thank Him and praise Him. So that was my first little lesson from Nellie. But there was a second one. The next morning when I woke up, and it was a very poor, simple compound, but Nellie had been up, obviously, from the crack of dawn, and she was just dressed beautifully in all the gorgeous African colors that the women wear in headpieces. And I came into the gathering room, and the food spread was just incredible. And Nellie greeted me with this huge smile on her face, and her eyes were glowing. And she said, Susan, a miracle has happened. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness something great what's happened and I said Nellie what is it 
And she said, she looked at me and she said, I woke up. <laughs> Isn't that great? And I just thought, I need to go live with Nellie. You know, she praises God for the little things that I presume and I assume. And so, being around Nellie just gave me a hunger for a heart of gratitude. And that's something that I continue to pray into my own life. Lord, I want to be a woman of praise. I want to be a woman of praise. So where are we running in our transition? Ask God to show you. And ask Him to remind you of how much He loves you. He knows you better than you know yourself. Psalm 139 reveals this. He knows you better than you know yourself. And He wants you to experience His Father's love in a way that you never have before. So let me pray for us. Oh, Father, I just confess that I am not as grateful as I want to be. Make me a grateful woman. Forgive me for assuming and presuming upon you, for taking you for granted. Make me more like Nellie. And Father, I pray for each one of us here that we would choose to run to you. Where we're running to other things, convict us. Convict us. And Lord, we're each different. We run to a whole myriad of different things. Speak to our hearts, O Lord. And turn us, Father, in the direction of running to you that we might be filled. Come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will refresh you. Father, help us to run to you. And as we just remain in an attitude of prayer with our eyes closed, I'm going to pray a prayer similar to the one that I prayed when I first asked Christ into my life. And if you're here today and you're not absolutely certain that you've ever done this, I would like to invite you to follow along making my words your words and ask Jesus to come into your heart. Dear Jesus, I need you. I open the door to my heart and ask you to come in. Thank you for forgiving all of my sins. Even that one I can barely mention. You have forgiven that and completely washed it away. Thank you that you have promised that you will never, ever leave me. Thank you that I can know right at this moment that one day I'll be in heaven with you. Not because I'm good, but because I am forgiven. Oh, Father, 
we are so grateful. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.